0: Recovery Elevator, episode 387.
1: Anything's going to be okay and acceptable, and there's always a solution as long as I don't pick up that drink.
0: Uh, Like this. Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki, three. Mix down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, we have Becca. She's 43 years old from Gardner, Montana. and took her last drink on September 18th, 2017. Great job, Becca. Sober travel update. Recovery Elevator is going back to Costa Rica in February of 2023, Soon as I have those dates, you guys will be the first to know. And if you went on this trip in January of 2022, we've added two different stops. We're starting in San Jose. We're going to La Fortuna. But the new stops are Rincon de la Vieja and then Playa Carrillo. And we're going to do some surfing lessons and some workshops and meditations on the beach. I can't wait for that. And a good area to see the upcoming events for Recovery Elevator is our events page on the RE website. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz before we get any further let's hear from our sponsor exact nature
2: exact nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery exact nature's all-natural cbd products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor beat your cravings with their detox blend if you are interested in learning more Head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Listeners, one in two billion people will live to be 116 years old. I also read somewhere that the chances of you being you are one in 400 trillion. So you got the second one there. What are you going to do with it? Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about why some people make it and why some people don't. And listeners, when I say make it, it's why some people quit drinking, get sober, or live an AF life, and why others continue to drink despite dire consequences. So let's chat about why some depart from alcohol and why some don't. Let's get real for a second first, though. Alcohol is the most dangerous drug on the planet, hands down. Each year, it kills more people than every other drug combined. Roughly 14 to 30 million Americans struggle with an alcohol use disorder, or an AUD, and it's estimated about 10% of those actually get help. A 2017 CNN article put it about one out of eight Americans have an alcohol problem. A less eloquent way to say this is a fuck ton of people struggle with alcohol, and not everyone quits drinking. In 2009, a Dr. David Nutt was tasked by the British government with putting a harm score on 20 of the world's most dangerous drugs, And guess what came in at number one? It wasn't heroin, crack, coke, or meth. It was alcohol. And side note, mushrooms or psilocybin came in at number 20, as in the least harmful. And in the next couple of years, we should see legal therapeutic use of these non-patentable medicines to treat anxiety, depression, and alcoholism. Okay, listeners, before I get any further, I want to answer the question some of you are asking yourself right now. Many of you are saying to yourself, oh shit, am I going to make it? The answer unequivocally is yes, and here's why. The reason that some make it, some quit drinking, and some don't is some take responsibility for their lives and others don't. Another way to say this is some people are victims and others are not. You listening right now to this podcast episode tells me you're not a victim. Victims don't listen to podcast episodes about quitting drinking. You, by listening to this episode, are making a conscious choice to be open, open to new ideas, new pathways, new resources, and a new outlook on life. You're taking ownership of your life. You don't do this if you're a victim, and the biggest reason for that is victims need the reason to drink, or need the reason for why life isn't working out. Unconsciously, victims don't want to quit. Listeners, let's try something real quick here. And this isn't a positive mindset exercise because I feel it's a truth. You're going to make it. I want you to take a moment, and I'll do this with you all as as I'm on the same journey, and I want you to tell yourself, yes, you are going to make it. Tell yourself you are making it. Maybe even get bold and tell yourself you are already there. I'll see you in about five seconds. The ones who stop blaming others are the ones who make it. The ones who stop pointing fingers outside of themselves are the ones who make it. The ones who are willing to sit face-to-face with uncomfortable life situations and emotions are the ones who make it. As I type this intro, something else is emerging as an even more powerful indicator of who makes it and who doesn't. This is awareness. At the fundamental level, I will venture to say, those who make it, get sober, are the ones with awareness that they have a drinking problem. Then after this awareness comes ownership. Not everyone has awareness of their drinking problem. This is probably the most insidious component of alcohol as it blinds the consumer. Now for the second time in this episode, you might be saying to yourself, oh shit, do I have awareness? I can answer that real quick. Yes, you listening to this podcast indicates A. You have awareness or are aware that alcohol is messing shit up in your life. And B., You are taking responsibility for this issue, concern, problem, or obstacle. If you're not aware of your drinking problem, you don't listen to Quit Drinking podcasts. That's an easy one. Listeners, side note number two for this episode. I hate labeling a drinking problem as a problem. In my eyes, the more accurate description is a drinking problem is an invitation to step into a new life. You can't fight, attack, or go to war with a drinking problem because it's inviting you into a total new way of living. It's almost like you're shutting the door on the next chapter that's trying to push itself through. So listeners, you will make it. You're going to be just fine, but don't quit quitting. In fact, that's another trait of those who make it. They don't quit. They don't quit quitting. Day one for the hundredth straight day, keep listening. Don't give up. I've been there and here I am now. Maybe you didn't make it yesterday. Maybe you don't make it today. That's okay because you have another chance to make it tomorrow or the day after. Now, listeners, back to awareness for a moment. I always used to poo-poo awareness as a tool, as in it's a little too woo-woo or too out there for me. However, in the quantum world, with the classic double-slit experiment, this shows that when we turn our awareness, our consciousness or attention inward, things begin to soften dislodge, and they change at the atomic and cellular level. This was the core teaching of physicist David Bohm and the Indian spiritual teacher Krishnamurti. So awareness is the first step in overcoming any ailment, disease, or condition. A great way to start building awareness is with pen and paper, which I'm going to cover in two weeks in episode 388. Awareness is a practice. It's a muscle. You develop it. Listeners, this September, for Cafe RE members, we have a brand new six-week course titled Ditching the Booze Mindfulness, where Patrick Foley will show you how to build this awareness. Before we hear from BetterHelp and Becca, again, I want to drive the point home that yes, you will make it. You're already making it. A, you've got the awareness. You're listening to this episode. And B, you're taking ownership of your life. You are no longer a victim. Listeners, one more announcement I want to make. One new thing that we're trying to do in this podcast is showcase your art, your talent. What has come back in your life after quitting drinking? If you are an acoustic guitar player, piano player, you read poetry, send us an MP3 file, an edited file of your music. We want to showcase it at the end of this podcast. Maybe it's uh, ukulele. Maybe you took the ukulele course, which we will be doing again probably early next year. Again, if you, maybe it's stand-up comedy whatever. But we want to get your art, your creation, what's come back into your life at the end of this episode. And We have anywhere from fifteen to 30,000 listens per episode, so it's a great way to get, get your stuff out there. So email info at recoveryelevator.com with your submission, and make sure it's edited and please under three minutes. So listeners, I hope you enjoyed the intro this week. Next week, Chris is doing his very first Recovery Elevator podcast intro. I can't wait for that. And then next week, I'm going to cover journal speak, which is a fun way to basically barf on paper with a pen and let shit go. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Becca.
2: Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, Recovery takes a lot of work and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com elevator.
0: Becca, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, Becca, I'm doing good. It's really good to see you. And Becca, I got a question for you. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink?
1: Uh, it was September 18th, 2017.
0: September. That's a good month to get sober. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm September 7th. And 2017, if a math is correct, that's five years this September. That's correct. All righty. Big time. How does that feel to be coming up on five years?
1: Unbelievable because I actually, I mean, for 10 years, I did two gallons of vodka to every day. That was my, that was my only diet thing. So for me to get sober... I thought it was impossible. I couldn't do anything without my vodka. So.
0: Okay. Back it up. If I heard you correctly there for 10 years, you did two gallons of vodka a day. Yes, that's correct. Not one gallon, but two gallons.
1: I drank till when I woke up until I was done bartending at the end of the day. Oh, okay. Over again. So.
0: Wow. And, and when I asked that question, you know, how does it feel to be X amount of time away from alcohol? When I asked myself that question, the most rewarding part of that was to tell myself I did something that I never thought I could do. There was always a voice inside my head that there's no way we can go one day, three day, five day, five years, Becca. So incredible stuff. I want to get to the point where we got to be drinking two gallons of vodka a day. You don't hear that on all the interviews here, and it's it's different for everybody, right? There's no, there's, and I don't like to say like, well, anybody was further along or worse or better, whatnot. It's just everybody's story is unique. It's different how we get into the addiction, and also it's completely unique how we depart. So, uh, but before we get into all that stuff, Becca, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, Becca, what do you like to do for fun?
1: So I'm 43 years old. Um, I currently live in Gardner, Montana, which I call home now. I spent the last 18 years in Philadelphia as a chef slash bartender. And that life uh, was putting me desperately into the drain with all my drinking. So I what I like to do for fun is I have I rescue dogs and and I have four of them. And um, I have two that live with me. So it's that's my thing. And I also I love to do art and I also love to read.
0: What are you reading right now?
1: Uh, right now, I'm actually reading your book again because I started that with everything that had happened lately. So, I was I've been going I've been kind of going off of social media and focusing on some other stuff that I can actually hold in my hand, do some walks, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for reading, Becca, and listeners. I have a book called Alcohol Is Shit came out in 2019. Now, you listeners, you might have heard the town Gardner, Montana. Um, thanks to Zoom, we're doing this. I'm in Bozeman, Montana. I think we're probably 70 to 80 miles away, but you may have heard the name Gardner, Montana, because recently it was in the news. This is the north entrance entrance into Yellowstone. And there was, uh, I-, I mean, climactic oh. flooding that just yeah. went down a couple days ago. Tell us a little bit about that. And more specifically, there was a viral video. But if you were on the internet four or five days ago, there was a large brown house that said, well, you know, I'm just going to see I'm just going to float away, and I'm just going to enter into the river. And you saw that you w- you witnessed that happen. In fact, they were friends of yours.
1: Yes. Yep. So basically, um, at the, the river goes so many cubic feet per second, and around like right, right, this time of year, it should be twenty one to twenty four thousand. So on Sunday night, when they did their raft race down the river, it was at 32,000, which is very, very like dangerous. And I was driving back from immigrant getting barbecue that night. And I was like, "Ooh, something's not right. I just felt it in my stomach. And so when I I got up the next morning to go open my coffee shop, it was raining and I could see like sirens at the north entrance because I can see the coffee shop from the north entrance from my coffee shop. And I just kept on opening just like like I was supposed to. And by nine o'clock, it was at 53,400.
0: More than double.
1: Yep, more than double. And they all like the sensors had broken and everything. So we had tons of tourists here freaking out. Um, We had locals who had never seen it, which were just totally in awe. And then in about five to six hours, the Mammoth Road from Upper Mammoth, which is where the park is, had been eaten all away. And um, I can provide some of these pictures to you so you can put it up on the podcast on your Instagram. But the road is actually eaten away. Um, you can't even drive it anymore. So the only way to get there is through the old road now. So wow. now we're just, we're recovering from that. Um, you know, we, as a community gardener has been hit a couple times this last three years, but we're coming back strong. Like we always do. And just showing up and being the best person you can be that be, that day. Like that's pretty much what makes everybody's day. Reason I got into the coffee business. I love to be, like I miss those people that I see every day in my regulars.
0: Yeah. 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 Before we get into your story, I want to comment on being in sort of the, it's a natural disaster. That was a major yep. flood roads, disintegrated people, stranded. What was it like being in a natural disaster of that sort without alcohol? And, and let me first prompt you with this. I, I think in 2003, my brother, it was a micro of this. My brother had a really bad accident. And I was drunk and I had also taken an Ambien right before, basically to say I was useless. Right. And here you are in this, you're sober. You're able to manage it. You're able to act. You're able to help to be of service. As as you mentioned, the people whose house floated away, they've lived there for eight years. They were your friends and you went to help them pick up. Yep.
1: And so I had, I I never felt like it was a hopeless, like I, like my whole life was over because as I've, as I've gained some knowledge in my um, sober life is that anything's Anything's gonna be okay and acceptable, and there's always a solution as long as I don't pick up that drink. So for me, not saying that you know I will never drink again, but drinking's not an option on my table anymore. So for me, I have to go and really dig deep and see what what tools I need to bring out that day to make my hent- mental health good and also make me good to help others. So I, I you know, I that thought of a drink is always gonna go through my head. It went through my head at least three or four times, but did I actually go to the store and buy it? No, because I played that tape through and a lot of people, but sometimes I don't do that. And then I go right to angry, but you know, it's another thing is noticing how you can, how those feelings go through your body and what is pushing them. And then you can kind of understand and bring it back and be like, okay, so what's my real decision I can make here today. At, like the fact that I can actually unpack a full decision and I'm not just, I'm not just like bouncing off of my actions or you know, and reacting to them poorly because I made bad decisions. I'm able to make those good decisions because I'm not, I'm coming from a sober state. Sure. I'm not, Oh, I woke up hungover today. So let me just try to make the best I can do. I'm coming from a sober state of five, almost five years. Yeah, And I, I work hard to keep that in my, cause otherwise if I don't, if I lose that, I don't have anything.
0: I hear you there. Unpacking and deconstructing. Sometimes people beat themselves up when the thought of a drink comes into mind, even after they have X amount of time away from alcohol But the beautiful gift that recovery has given me is not buying into every thought. The thoughts come in, yeah, maybe I'm going to go a different route. That is the beauty of it for me. Okay, Becca, let's get into your story. Let's talk about alcohol in your life. When did it ramp up? The departure, all of that fun stuff. That's what we came here to do. If you could walk us through the part where, yeah, when did it start? And when did it ramp up? When did you first recognize this wasn't, uh, that alcohol wasn't serving you?
1: So, My addiction, I I call it all of an addiction because I went from one thing to another. So when I was young, it was food. Um, And when I got to about 20, I started like testing out some alcohol. Didn't really like the taste, but it was having a nice effect on me. So I was good with it. But, you know, my then I was realizing about 10 years into my drinking that I was pre-gaming a whole bottle before we all even went out. And then I was double shotting everything at the bars. So like my, my tab would come out to be $400. And I, I was like, who else drank on my tab? And it was just me. So, you know, and I, I never knew why I kept drinking so much. So I had got gas, I had gastric bypass in 20 uh, 2005. So I was 450 pounds and I lost 268 pounds with that. And it's been 16 years later and I've kept it all off,
0: hmm, but wow.
1: I was able to digest extra alcohol. So that's why I was hitting the two gallons of booze a day.
0: Let me ask this question. When you were pre-gaming a bottle of booze before going to your friends, was there a moment you said, hang on a second. I think I'm the only one doing this right now.
1: No, because that was normal to me. So, um, it didn't start. It didn't start. And like, you know, at this time I had alienated my parents in Bozeman. Like I hadn't spoken to them for a good 10 years. They came back, tried to find me in Philadelphia. I was married to my booze and I was married to my alcohol. I was married to my drugs and I was married to those people that supported that. So I, I, I got beat up and so I, I'm continuing to use, I lose all this weight, you know, I'm thinking I have a new life. And then in 2016, I had started, you know, just have people in my life that didn't need to be there. I got beat up and it landed me in the hospital for four weeks. That was kind of my wake up call, but not yet. Cause I had to take at least, at least a couple of them. And, you know, I don't want to go into detail about my, all my signs for my rock bottom, but. April or March 31st of 2017, I called my mom in Bozeman and I said, can I come home? That's the first time I spoke to her in 15
0: years. Wow. You Mother, let me back it up a little bit with that accident in Philadelphia. Sometimes the universe can gift you sobriety. Those four weeks when you were in the hospital, I imagine you didn't have access to alcohol. Was there a moment, several moments, I guess, where like, look, we need to make some major life changes with, and, and you were able to see that with sobriety. Am I correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I saw that I needed to make life changes, but I wasn't ready for it at that time. Okay. okay. So as soon as I got to the hospital, I mean, I was onto my first drink, but I, but then when I, I got, you know, I got robbed, I got all this stuff because I let these people, I trusted these people that were around me. I got robbed in Philadelphia. My, my house got overtaken. You know, I had no other option, but either I was going to shoot myself or I was going to call my mom and she was gonna let me come home.
0: Mm, that's a tough spot to be, but sometimes it's the best spot to be when you only have two choices, and it's basically life or death.
1: <laughs> yep. yep. And so, because I didn't want to live anymore the way I was feeling, I mean, I was scraping my my pennies together to go to the alcohol store just to make sure I wasn't shaking that day. So I, um, she said, yes, I'll come home. So I packed one bag of clothes and I flew to Bozeman two days later, and my dad picked me up, and I started life over. So I continued to drink and Bo- Bozeman for another five months. Until my dad had enough of it because I was still living, you know, I'm an adult child coming home to see my parents and tr- trying to get my life in order. And um, so he was like, Nope, you have to go to treatment. And I went to treatment that day in Great Falls.
0: Okay. Question about, you know, when was the the high water mark of the drinking? It's the, the, the two gallons of vodka a day. Was that in Bozeman or in Philadelphia? How did that how did you manage to do that in a day? And we all and listeners. I don't want to highlight this because this seems like the far end, the far end spectrum, even if you're drinking a bottle of wine a night, it's still, there's still the same amount of mental framework around it of, are you going to hide it? How much is there left? Um, You know, is this going to do the trick for me? Yeah. Talk to us about that a little bit.
1: So I used to, you know, I would lie to my parents that I was not drinking, but I would go to like, you know, the liquor stores in Bozeman that I know I could hide my car in the park you know, on the side of the building where they wouldn't see. And I would buy every, um, buy like two gallons of vodka at a time, stick them in my duffel bag and take them and drink them in my room. So I would drink, start drinking in the morning at six o'clock. Then sometimes we would go to breakfast. I would drink after breakfast and I I would drink continuously all day long. It was, it was just because otherwise I would shake and I would have seizures. Hmm. So I had 14 seizures before I went into, um, inpatient treatment and with my, and that when I felt like I was going to die, I was shaking so bad that feeling. I never ever want to go back to that. And 90s and- in treatment. Yep. And that was at Rocky mountain treatment center in great falls.
0: Okay. So when your dad yeah. said, you got to go to treatment, what was the mental dialogue going through your brain of, yeah, I can't go through with this. This is a lot for me, but you can't envision life on the other side with that alcohol.
1: Yeah. He, I basically thought he was out of his mind. Like there's no other way that I could live. Cause I have been living this way for 17 years. And so I, you know, I, I fought with them for a little bit at that point, though, I was so out of it with seizures and everything. I, I just wanted to go somewhere where I feel better and I didn't know what to expect. So I would never been to jail or anything. So I was like, well, are they going to go through all my clothes? They took away all my stuff. I didn't have contact with my family for a good uh, month because you have to kind of level up in their school to get um, privileges. But man, I have never learned so much about myself and I'm continuing to do that every day. And I can't, I can't imagine now living that life with alcohol.
0: Attempts to moderate, were there any brilliant ideas to, that came to mind towards the end of how to moderate? Did you ever try that?
1: So I would buy stuff that I didn't like, but then I would still drink it because I'd be like, well, I can have it there and it just won't do anything. Um, I would buy beer because I wouldn't drink it, but then I'd drink that because it was the only thing I had. So at this point, I was just like, no, I'm just going to buy what I want to drink. And I was prepared to die. Like I didn't think the life was going to be any, I was ready to go.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Buying alcohol, buying things that I didn't like. It's really only with ethanol where that can happen. It totally warps our thinking, the pragmatic part of our brain. Oop, just switches off. And I've been there, right with you, and listeners. I do want to mention: focus on the similarities and not the differences. You might have heard two gallons yeah. of vodka a day, and you know I was doing uh, four four micro pints a day, right? It really doesn't matter. It's all the same. You can copy and paste the same fundamental components of an addiction. Okay. Talk to us about, you get a little bit of time away from alcohol. I think you're in Great Falls. You're in the treatment center. You're learning stuff about yourself, uncovering things you've never, never seen before. I, I mean, it is a completely new life going from that amount of alcohol to none detox behind you. What happens?
1: So I, we had to like volunteer to have jobs and stuff like that. They basically taught us how to redo our, you know, had to learn how to live our laundry, all that good stuff. Um, Why well, I'm at treatment therapy, family days that my uh, counselor tells me that I am not, it's not, I'm not going home because that's not a good relation, good situation for me to be put in. So I signed up for sober living in Livingston, Montana. And that is another big part. I have a great therapist and I still am with her these days, you know, and she was able, when I walked into her office, I was like, I have to sign all the rights over to my kid because I'm not worth anything. Like that was the way I felt. And she's like, Oh no, 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 just sit down. And, you know, for the first six months, I wasn't really truthful with her about, you know, I was still trying to put that fa- facade on that, like, oh yeah, I got this, but I didn't have it. And then I remember sitting in one of her groups one day and she said to me, she goes, we can't help you unless you help us and tell us everything that's going on. You know, cause a lot of us, we carry shame and we carry, and, you know, I read queen baby. I don't know if you've ever been, been able to read that, but it's a little pamphlet that I, I read. And it's, you know, it's, it talks about how we, how we think we deserve stuff because we're alcoholics, you know, mm-hmm. we are so special. And, you know, like I had a lot of shame too, that now that I'm not, I'm not in the cool zone anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't get to drink with people. So why are people going to like me? I faced all that stuff, but you know, it's like, at some point I took a grasp onto it and I started feeling physically better after about six to eight months into to, like sober living. And I could start, I started working out. I started doing all this other stuff and it's like, wow, I could have done all this work. Like, Ten years ago, instead of just existing for those those drinking years, but now it's like you know what? I'm 43. I have a I have a lot ahead of me. I just opened my first business with an angel investor, and that's all because somebody followed my recovery for those five years.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to get into your coffee shop that that's your business. And uh, but but first off, I want to talk to you about you, you you know sometimes in these treatment facilities or a mentee or a mentor or a sponsor or a therapist. It, it, it sounds like, you know, occasionally somebody comes into your life and just says, okay, but they like call out the BS, call it the bullshit. And the same thing happened with me. You know, what was it like, as you mentioned, I'm not worth it. I'm going to sign everything over to my daughter or whatnot. When you first heard somebody, another human being sit across the table with you and say, you know what, that's, that's not right. That, I mean, that's not how, that's not what reality is. And another component of that, that I heard is they said, I don't think it's a good idea for you to go back to the same environment. You know, there's a quote that used to be in our intro and outro music. I think intro music, you can't heal in the same environment that yep. you became sick and you, your perception is skewed. Even the first couple of months away from alcohol, you think you want to go back into the same thing because it's the known, you know, how impactful was that to have an outside voice almost tell you what reality is.
1: So I felt that that person was being mean to me that day. Sure. I mean, you I'm only like day 21 into impatient, So I felt like they were being mean to me. But then, you know, I've never been like I, I've brought up very religious, but like with a higher power, I have a lot of higher powers in my in my recovery. And, you know, like I just had to start finding those higher powers and seeing who I trusted and what what my gut trusted. And, you know, now I I couldn't, you know, I I, I just it's like I'm speechless because my wife is so good these days, you know, what I'm saying. And, you know, I was thinking about stuff yesterday, like I'd rather be in a national disaster here where I'm sober than to be at my rock bottom where I was.
0: That was Mm. harder. Say that. Say that one more time.
1: So I'd rather be in a national disaster where I'm sober and I can help others and I can, you know, be with them, empathize than to be at my rock bottom where stuff was really difficult and I had no choices but drinking or death. Like that was my choices. Wow. You know, I'd rather I'd rather take on more responsibility, take on more problems, maybe interact with my community a little bit more soberly and in a bad disaster than to sit here and be like, oh, no, I'm going to go pick up that drink because those five years weren't any good.
0: And listeners, I'm going to unpack that statement a bit. And Becca, correct me if I'm wrong, if I missed the mark here, but I would rather be present, face life with its challenges, with its beauties, with the obstacles and be present without the numbing agent of alcohol and feel it all in FaceTime and real value. Yes.
1: And, you know, I really appreciate even now, like these days when I have the feelings of hurt, when I have those feelings of madness, because I know that's something that I've never actually experienced um, soberly. So like these are new feelings that I'm able to bring in. But those also are feelings that take care of my whole mental well-being. So if I'm angry or if I'm fearful, that's because something's not right in my gut. You know, and that's something that I can use and I don't have to work and like sit on the, the fear, but I can work with my tools and be like, this is why I'm fearful. Maybe it's because I've been thinking about a drink since nine o'clock this morning.
0: Hmm. That is an extremely beneficial skill to have in the world today as if of, of knowing just the consciousness of knowing my, my gut doesn't feel right. It's not because my gut doesn't feel right. It's just this non-connected event. It's because it's tied to the mind. There's no difference between the body and the mind and you explore it. I love what yep. I heard. Yeah, tell us more about that. And you
1: have to you have to be like I mean recovery is not like a black and white thing. So every day I don't I have maybe like, you know, a couple goals that I'm trying to reach each day. I do start my morning with a morning routine and I end my day with an end routine, but during the day it's like challenges. You know, what I'm saying this is a stuff that we all have to be taught we're taught in recovery to embrace, you know? But there's also like so much good stuff that like I can hear the birds chirping now. I couldn't hear that for the first 8 months of being sober. Because I just was like, oh, what is that noise in the morning? Like, oh, everything was always in my way. Now it's like I can go out and walk my dog at six o'clock in the morning, hear the birds, hear the river. You know, it's like, it's perfect.
0: Becca, I think it was September 7, 2014 was my last drink. I think it was September 1st. The first time I heard the birds in years, the night before I DJed a wedding drunk. I I made several phone calls to my family telling them I was going to rehab. The way to say that is, is I fully surrendered. And I remember the next morning when I woke up, I heard the birds and it wasn't a nagging, you know, turn the volume down on nature. It was like, wow, there's something else going on there going on. And my parents called me back and said, Hey, we had 35 missed calls from yesterday. What's going on, bud? (laughs) What's up, Paul? I said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with alcohol. I wanted to go to treatment, but give me another day. Um, That wasn't my last drink. I had another, I had two more drinks. Uh, a couple days later on September 7th, but I remember I poured my last drink out because I knew if I continued with that, it just game over. Okay. Becca, you've got almost five years away from alcohol. When I have an interviewee on the podcast with, with with a significant amount of time like this, I want to ask for timelines. Like what was, you know, what were some big leap forwards or big steps forward? I'm still learning to talk here. What was some big monuments like year one, this happened year two, this happened or year three and a half. Like this is, I unpacked my shame or whatnot.
1: So, um, five months into my, me being sober, I flew back with my mom to testify against the guy who beat me up. Wow. Um, so the DA flew me and my mom to Philadelphia and we stayed in a hotel. I testified for two days and then he was sentenced three days later. The fact that I was able to do that at five months sober, I mean, I don't even have a, uh, like a sleep routine at that time. Like, I'm just trying to get through it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that was like a big like, oh, wow, maybe, you know, I, that's, that's that, the thought I had coming back on the plane was like, well, I tried the drinking stuff to the full force. So let me go ahead and try all this recovery stuff. Another like early, early thing was when Rocky Mountain Treatment Center had you work with horses. Um, so you're out in the ranch three days a week and then you're in the classroom two days a week. So, and you know, the fact that my energy could connect with a horse and he could feel when I was scared, you know, like that had something. So like, it's like, you know, what I can come back down from where I'm at. Cause I mean, I, I drank a lot. So I felt like I was drunk 24 seven. I never, ever knew that true. You know, who, who is Rebecca? You know what I'm saying? Like I never knew anything about myself. And then I would say, um, as I, I got out of sober living and I was, I just didn't want to anybody making my decisions for me. So then I lived on my own in Livingston, ran a, a kitchen there. And I, you know, when I hit four years sober, I was, I was ready for like me to be closer to nature. I, I want to be further away from people. I want to be with like more nature. I want to do some more hikes. And that's when I came to Gardner and, you know, I fell in love with Gardner. Gardner's a cute little town. It has a lot of, uh, has a lot of trials. It also has a lot of um, good things. When I moved here, people are like, why are you going to Gardner? Everybody drinks there all winter long. But I don't. I don't have to go there and drink. I don't sit on unemployment and drink. So the last three years, you know, I've worked my butt off here and then, you know, as for other people. And then I had this, you know, in my mind, I was going to go and make it, you know, and open my own shop. And this is where we're at today. I think every day I sit down and reflect on some of the big things that I have accomplished. And I always keep little post-its around my door because if I feel like I'm having a bad day, I can always back and look at my journal entries. I can see what stuff I've been through. And, you know, I always have to trust my gut. That's it. You know, and I, I surround myself with my dogs. You know, I have a very small circle, but small circles are good right now.
0: Becca, lot lots unpacked there. I love that. Okay. You said, you know, how much work do I dedicate towards recovery? Well, the same amount of work or same amount of energy you put towards your addiction. I love that. Yep. I've heard that a lot. Let's talk about nature for a second. Uh, Gardner, Montana, this is the north entrance to Yellowstone National Park. I think it's the most visited national park in America with over 4.5 million visitors a year, many of them coming through the north entrance since it's the closest to the Bozeman International Airport. I think I got that right. Nature in Gardner is full send, as Scott Fife and the kids would say. Talk to us about how nature has been constructive for you, your nervous system, for, for feeling more connected. And also, have you seen any bears? Have you heard the wolves? Talk to us about the elk that are probably just roaming around your backyard.
1: Yeah. So right now, um, in Gardner, it's like springtime. So it's what early April is right now because it's been so cold. Mm-hmm. But um, to be able to wake up and like to hear to see, like yesterday, I saw a, a new a new calf um, elk. You know, she was born right in my yard here. And just to see that stuff and see how simple simple, simple it is, it's, like, wonderful. Um, and then to realize, like, again, we went through this national disaster, and to see the river and what it did, like, there's so much strength in nature. And sometimes just to get out and do a 15, 20-minute hike and sit, sit down and watch the river that flows in the gardener, it's just so peaceful. It's like, and then, you know, walks up in Jardine, it's just, there's so much stuff that you can really, really like investigate and try to, you know, try to find out hikes and everything. There's so much stuff that's been left unturned up here. And it's so much stuff too, like wildflowers, mountains, snow. There's tons of horses that just run free up in Jardine. So yeah, it's awesome. Grizzly bears? Grizzly bears. I saw four of them this year before the park got closed. Um, They're all over this year. So I saw a mom and two um, cubs right in Lamar Valley. I'm literally probably 35 feet from my car. Wow. Wow. yeah. And I, and then we saw some on Doug Raven pass, but now I think that's closed again, but yeah, they're all over. They're very populated and moose. It's really great to see moose. If you ever, there's a ton of them now in the park. And I saw a bull moose and he was actually running through the snow this winter on the way to Cook city.
0: Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Do you ever hear the wolves?
1: Oh yeah. The wolves. And like the, when the wolves come close to the North entrance, you better be ready for business because there's probably about 1500 people running with them.
0: Sure. sure yeah. Sure. So you
1: always- Always have like the wolf followers, but yeah, wolves are all over and they run right through town here. Some of them have collars on, but yeah. And then I have a couple of them that ran in front of me going down to Lake a couple weeks ago. So
0: yeah. yeah. Now, listeners, the power of nature, the power of equine therapy, which unfortunately I have to miss out on because of a extreme horse allergy, but the power of working with animals to depart with an addiction, um, even several mental health disorders, is it's all tied to your nervous system. You getting out into nature. Ideally with your shoes off, as much as your contact with the earth as possible with your body, you don't have to do much except focusing on your breath and nature can do the rest. It will bring your nervous system down from high beta, from beta into alpha. These are basically just brain waves and same thing with, with animals. Many of these animals, they read your chemistry, right? And to have a good interaction with the horse, you can't. full of anxiety. You can't be thinking of the past or the future. You have to become present with these animals because they read they read chemistry. They're on a totally different wavelength as us. Um so I'm glad we got to touch base on that. I don't think there's a coincidence of why I live close to you. And it's 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 a lot of nature. I'm in the south part of Bozeman and I swear last this winter I heard the wolves because they have been reintroduced reintroduced into Yellowstone. I'm not sure if they're this far north, but I remember walking outside one night and saying, I don't think those are coyotes, um, but they do come. They do come pretty far north. So it's just, it's beautiful that you were, that you found that. That I found that because nature is so therapeutic. Now I want to talk to you about business. Let's talk about. You used to work in a bar. Um, I also used to own so, a bar. Two two thousand three to two thousand five to two thousand eight in Spain. They got me to where I'm here at. I'm extremely thankful for it. But you went from a bartender to a bartender, but serving coffee. Tell us all about that endeavor and um, how coffee is probably a better choice for you.
1: Yeah. Coffee is definitely a better choice. Um, I, you know, I thought I used to love coffee because it was my savior in the morning. actually, you know, when I was hungover, but I stopped drinking it a little bit because I was like, just planning on doing the alcohol thing. So I would chef all day and do private events. And then I would bartend all night at a bar. And then I would go party all night. And then sleep two hours and get up and do this over and over and over. So I worked and partied and everything with that same group. So my life was like, you know, I would make $1,500 at tips at night. They were gone by my morning because of drugs and alcohol. We were done. We were partying. So, and I, let me tell you something. I don't regret those days because I had fun in all of it. But, you know, it's like, I uh, I really started to, when I got, I, when I moved to garden, I started to study, study the coffee. You know, I started to study how poor a shot how to make it the best. So I've literally had the best coffee you'll ever, you'll ever drink because I have studied it for over two years and I have watched tons of documentaries. I've gone to coffee fest. I basically have, have like made the recipe for my shop and nobody else's coffee tastes this way. It came all the way down to the machine I bought too with ghost town. I bought an older machine, but like I had them all rebuild it. You know, it's all about how, you do it. And like the kids that work for me, they know that everything has to go through a process. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like our, my recovery anyway, is that, you know, I had to go through a process and kind of strain the little things out that I thought I needed and I strain them every day. You know, sometimes they they sneak in there and that doubt will sneak in there, but I just try to strain it out. And that's, you know, it's like, I don't know, like I've defined my recipe right now, what works for my recovery. And you know, in a couple months I might have to redefine that. But like as coffee, I found what works for me and I love it. I love making my coffee. I love the the effect I have on people when they take that first sip, it's awesome. It's like my, it's my happy place.
0: What's the name of your coffee shop, Becca? Uh,
1: It's Bears Brew.
0: Okay. Bears okay. Brew. This is Gardner, Montana. If you're in a road trip, uh, Northwest, make sure you yep. stop in to Gardner, say hello to Becca. And of course, if you're visiting Yellowstone, you to uh, go to Bears Brew in Gardner. How many people live there? What 2000? It's not a big oh, city. Have,
1: no 900 in the winter. Okay. And then in the summer we have about 45,000 come through every day.
0: Whoa, 45,000.
1: So, this is why like, this is yes. Last week was the beginning of our summer Summer. Like our money making, and we are shut down.
0: Yeah, I thought about you the instant I saw the that saw the news because we were going to get this yep. interview lined up. It's like, oh, I bet her coffee shop is empty if not closed.
1: It was closed, yeah, but they had brought the sheriff up here with the health department and shut everybody down. Said if you open up, you will get your food
0: license taken away. Wow, but then you said uh, they're going to get that road done in five weeks, which is a monumental yep, ask. It's full yep. of construction workers, and things should be okay.
1: Yep. And you know what, if it doesn't happen this year, maybe this is a way my higher power just says, you know what, this is enough for you to handle this year and next year we'll make it bigger. You know, I have to look at like those little things are maybe put in place for me, for my mental health, for me to have a break, you know, and I have to be grateful for that because everything happens for a reason.
0: Okay. Tremendous gift of recovery is that voice, which is the bigger you can have a presence, a voice saying, you know what, maybe this is for the best with alcohol Everything was catastrophized. Everything was victim oh, yeah. mode.
1: Oh, yeah. Like if I was if I was drinking right now, I would have been had I had five meltdowns today and it's only like 930 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that was. Real. And, you know, like another thing is like and when I, I I couldn't talk for the first two years of my recovery because I had such my I knew what I wanted to say in my head, but I couldn't formulate the words to come mm-hmm. out. So I, I would sit at AA meetings, but it was not like I didn't really I took some things from AA but I needed to a little bit fill my whole recovery circle with kind of everything that made me a well-rounded, rounded human for my def- definition. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's a journey and I'm so excited for the rest of the journey, but you know, I have I could be right now, super sad about you know my town or I could just, you know, pick up my, and put my positive pants on and be like, you know what, let's do this today. Let's try to come back strong. And I, I try to find, the gratitude and the solution every day. Cause I have that
0: without drinking. Okay. mental cognition. People talk about brain fog. When does it go away? You said about two years, you couldn't talk. Two it's, years. It's the neural networks are finding new pathways. Those pathways have not been firing for, for years, right? right? about 12 to 15 episodes ago, I talked about how my cognition, my brain is continuing to improve seven, seven years. I'm coming up on eight years this September. And I'm getting smarter. I feel, and it has that process hasn't stopped. It's it's incredible. Okay, Becca, got a couple questions before we hit the rapid fire round. What is a non-negotiable for you? Uh,
1: I can't be with anybody like as far as relationships. Cause I just left a relationship. I need to be with somebody that is in the same goals as me. So that's non-negotiable.
0: And when you experience a craving or a triggered, and we talked about that with the Yellowstone flood, what do you do?
1: Um, I cuddle with my dogs I go and actually take a walk I, I try to change my thought process and then I do play the tape all the way through even as much as I like Ugh, I don't want to see that person again
0: now I just, tell like, us what playing the tape forward means
1: so if I go buy that drink then I have to explain to the town why I bought that and I'm also on the school board and they all know that I'm sober I have a lot of stuff to explain if I go mm-hmm. even go to the store I live in such a small town a liquor store and the grocery store are the same thing so I, I can't just go and be like, oh yeah, I'm just buying this for somebody else. Cause it's a small town. So, you know, I, I have to play that tape through. And then I, I actually go back to the, when I was in detox, I never want to feel that way again. That was the worst eight days of
0: my life. Hmm. Okay. Becca, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? yes what is the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking
1: that i am enough and every day i
0: become stronger love it best af moment
1: i would say it would have to be uh this last week being here being sober
0: best af moment in a natural disaster look at that what's your favorite alcohol free drink you can't say coffee
1: no, I do a diet Mountain Dew in the afternoons instead of a coffee. So yeah, a
0: diet Mountain Dew. I love yep. it. Yep, I love it. I don't think anybody's ever said a diet Mountain Dew. All I right, love diet Mountain Dew. All right, here's an easy one. What's the point of life?
1: To live like I'm living now.
0: All right. What's your favorite 80s or 90s band? Heart. Ooh. All right. What are some of your favorite resources?
1: My resources. I have a a small circle. I also have yoga. I have a therapist. I have recovery elevator. I do listen to Sober Soul uh, soul Therapy and the Sober Girls Guide podcast. I listen to her podcast as well. But I I also think that my customers, I I live to see them every day and make Mm. them happy.
0: Is there an AA scene down there in Gardner?
1: There is one meeting, but a lot of people to drive in and drive back out. Gotcha. Because because it, it's so small so that's why I found recovery elevator when I got up here and I listened to it for two years and I didn't realize you were in Bozeman
0: <laughs> <Isn't> that's funny <laughs> yeah uh, hopefully we get to meet meet someday in person yeah uh what has recovery made possible for you
1: um I'm able to actually be a person every day and I don't have not like a menace to society like I'm able to be an actual like good standing citizen every day I'm able to be able to show up I never showed up before. I mean, I I avoided my parents for 15 years, Mm. you know, and I'm able to show up. I'm able to not have a to lie about my situation. I'm able to just be who I am.
0: If you had a pet butterfly, what would you name it?
1: Probably Shaniqua.
0: Love it. Favorite pizza topping?
1: I'm gonna go with uh, onions.
0: All right. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are wanting to quit drinking?
1: I would say that you know what you all everybody recovers differently and don't ever compare your journey to somebody else's and you know if you are really struggling I urge you to reach out because I mean my first question when I got into recovery is how do I date somebody and don't and don't let them know I'm in recovery I don't drink and I'm like oh my goodness you know like you have to ask the questions that you need to know and that no questions ever done hmm.
0: great stuff and Becca before we depart Give listeners your own. You might need to ditch the booze if line.
1: Uh, You lived at your parents' house for one month and there's 250 empty two gallon bottle gallon bottle, vodka bottles stashed everywhere.
0: All right, Becca. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast again. It's bear. What's the coffee shop name?
1: Bear Brew in Gardner, Montana.
0: Bear Brew in Gardner, Montana. I'm not that far away. You might just see me show up one day. Becca, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Listeners, every time I said the word making it in this episode, it was encompassed with air quotes, making it. I'm not a fan of the two boxes of A, making it or B, not making it. For one, in this world of duality we live in, you have to have both. You have to have people that don't make it to define the people who do make it. So right there, it kind of sucks knowing you have to have people to not make it to define the people who make it. And then what is making it, right? That's not you who's going to make that criteria of who makes it. It's, it's a society. And that's the comparison trap. So I really, I love doing this intro, but I don't like terms of making it and not making it. For one, the Bruno voice inside the head, the ego is always going to tell us we have not made it. And it's, it's a trap. It's going to tell us if we do this, 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 and this, we get this amount of time away from alcohol, whatnot which is a good noble goal, but even when we reach these, these goals that internally we've set for ourselves, the voice is going to say we're still not there. So again, making it with air, air quotes, Bruno, the voice, the ego, is never going to tell us, at least for the long, long term, that we've made it. We might temporarily have made it for a day or two after we complete a project or a task, but at the end of the day, the ego is always going to say we haven't made it. So, with that then, with the air quotes of making it, what do we do? There's something neat that emerges, and I think this is one of the biggest gifts that recovery gives us, is there's a larger voice inside that says, I've already made it. I'm already here. It, and it emerges, as, it emerges on its own. I remember a couple months ago, I was walking around, and I've shared this in the podcast. I was walking around a rug in my living room. I was dead tired after a long day of work, you know, Whatever. And I just told myself, I'm like, God, I'm so tired. You know, like, but I have to keep going. I have to keep getting it. I need, to, I need to make it. And I just stopped in my tracks and the larger voice and said inside of me said, okay, if you're tired, you should just stop. And then I started to question, where am I going? What am I trying to make it? What, what am I trying to achieve? And a voice came, came forth with, we're already there, Pablo, chill out, buddy, sit on a couch, pop your feet up. Of course. We live on planet Earth. We do have to pay bills. We have to we have to do things. It's it's matter moving matter. We have to get in a car and go somewhere. We have to we have to type things, send emails. We of course we have to do these things, but the larger component it is, we've already made it, and that is that is the the biggest invitation that alcohol has for us, to invite us to recognize that we're already here. That nothing else has to change externally, for us to have this wholeness internally, because that's what we are. At our core natures is we're whole, right? We are, we are a God's creature or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't make some people good, some people bad, right? We're, we're all, we're all beautiful in our own way. And another thing I want to, I want to point with this, you know, for some people who don't make it and do make it, all pathways lead home. They all go to the same direction. One's more painful, right? You want to keep, you're, 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 continuing to drink and, and, and say you don't make it for a while packed in there. As the 19th century german philosopher Friedrich nietzsche would say what what doesn't kill me makes me stronger what's packed in there is so many lessons you get grit your resilience grows you become the person you are today and when i look back at my journey again labeling it as a problem was incorrect it wasn't right because here i am today the man i am today behind a microphone i'm not perfect i don't have it figured it out and if ever i do Tell you <laughs> recovery elevator. I've got it all figured out. It's just stop listening. I don't. We don't have it figured out. But all pathways lead to home. At least I can tell you that much. But I can tell you my pathway. Um, you know, I was a victim in this journey. Life happened to me. All this shit happened to me, and this is why I drink. And that's where I found my my traction on this alcohol-free journey. Was a awareness, but B. I'm no longer the victim. I can do something about it. So recovery elevator. All pathways lead to home. And start questioning, this is air quotes, you know, if you're making it or not making it. I mean, it's good to have like, let's make it. Let's have the idea, the goal, but maybe start to question, you know, maybe, maybe you've already made it. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, Recovery Elevator, go big because eventually we all go home.